0: Well yesterday, um, uh, we got the ball rolling, didn't we? We've been talking, the whole theme of this, this conference here is identity, who am I? Um, and we started last night with this notion, uh, with the idea that we're all in search of our true self, we're all in search uh, of our true identity. Who am I? What makes me special? Am I special? What makes me me? Um, We told that story, right, of the the little birdie who left its home, left its nest in search for its mother. Are you my mommy? Are you my mommy? Um, And in the same way, we have left God and the garden in search of our true identity, our true selves. Is this where my identity lies? Is this where my identity lies? Right? Uh, Once we left him and, and we decided that God is not the one who's going to define ourselves. God is not the one who's going to write the rules. We can do that on our own. We can define and redefine ourselves as we please. We're going to write the rules on our own. Uh, we said that leads to all sorts of lostness, uh, confusion, uh, nakedness, and and shame. You're trying to find yourselves. Uh, You're trying to figure out where your identity lies. And we said there's an old-fashioned way and a new-fashioned way. Is it in my family? Is it in my race? Is it in my culture? Is it in the color of my skin? Is it in my temperament? Or is it in my likes? In my grades? In my performance? Um, Is it in my relationships? My relationship status? Lots of options. Who am I? Where does my true identity lie? What I'm suggesting and what the Bible suggests as well is that our identity doesn't lie in any of those things and in fact, when we seek our identity apart from God, um, it does lead to these feelings of lostness, confusion, nakedness, and shame. Fortunately, last night wasn't the end of the story, right? We don't end uh, on this note of, well, you know, we blew it. God sort of just being like, sorry guys, you're on your own. He doesn't leave the scene. Rather, he speaks words of hope and promise into the mix of a horrible and messed up, broken situation. He says that he's going to recover us. He's going to rescue us. Uh, He speaks his word of promise in Genesis 3, and he says that he's going to recover us, that he's going to take away our nakedness and shame. He's going to give us a new identity, a better identity, an unshakable identity, one that cannot be taken away from us. That's what we're talking about today. So what I want to do today is show you the three aspects of our new unshakable identity. And those three aspects are our rescue, our robes, and our Father. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at our rescue, our robes, and our Father. If you brought Bibles with you, or if you have one in front of you, why don't you go ahead and let's turn to Galatians uh, 3. We're going to look at verses 26 through Galatians 4, verse 7. So... Galatians 3. Right. Comes right after uh, 2 Corinthians. It's Galatians. Alright. This is going to be... We're going to couch here today. And, and look at this passage in some detail. Starting at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus... You're all sons, oh, it's here, I'll read from the NIV. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Last night, we saw all the places we looked to for our identity, and it doesn't work. God wants to give us a new or better identity. And that new identity, that better identity that he wants to give us, right? it begins here with our rescue. Right? It begins with our rescue. Without this, you can just chuck the other two. They, they don't even exist. right? Our, you could say no rescue, no new identity. Right? It's game over and the conference is over and we can all just go home. But I don't want you to do that because God has rescued us The conference isn't over, right? Look at Galatians 4.4, right? But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to deal with our sin, right? Our separation once and for all. Remember back in Genesis 3, God promised that he's going to send a rescuer. Adam and Eve had believed the lies of the devil. You know, God isn't good. He doesn't love us. He he can't be trusted. He doesn't want what's best for us. So the best thing and the right thing for us to do is just to leave him behind, to reject him, to take your life into your own hands. And then you'll really be free, and then you'll really be happy. And Adam and Eve believed these lies and have acted on them, and you have too. These lies, they have gone into your heart as well, and you have acted out on them. Well, the fallout of their sin... And your sin and my sin is immediate, right? We feel naked and ashamed, uh, but worst of all, our sins have made a real separation between us and God. You know, it used to be that we were really close to God, that we could, as it were, walk in the garden with him. But now, that same God feels really dangerous. And in a sense, he is, because God hates sin, and you and I are sinners, But this, friends, isn't the end of the story, right? Even as things are falling apart in real time, God speaks words of hope and words of promise into this horrible situation, right? Genesis 3.15, it's one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. You you know, become familiar with it. God promises that someday a seed of the woman, right, a child of Eve, is going to crush the head of the serpent, but he's gonna get wounded in the process and in that verse God is essentially saying, look, you have what you have done is horrible and it's and it's it's messy and there's going to be consequences. But I promise you that the story doesn't end here. I promise you that I'm going to recover you. I'm going to rescue you. I promise you I'm going to do this. And this rescuer the one that I'm going to send He's going to make everything wrong right again, but he's going to get wounded in the process. The rest of the Bible, everything that follows that is the unpacking of this promise, right? The rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 all the way to to Malachi until the time you get to the New Testament is asking this question, what child is this, right? What's the identity of this rescuer? We know right here that it's going to be a child of Eve. But then as you get to Genesis 12, you see it's going to be a child of Abraham. It's going to be a child of Isaac. It's going to be a child of Jacob. It's going to be a child from the line of David. Then you start to get into the prophets and you realize mysteriously it's going to be God himself. Right? Well, do you see now what is so radical about Paul's claim here in Galatians 4.4? When Paul says that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. He's saying, these promises have come true. These these promises have been fulfilled. right? Jesus has come. The rescuer has come. The promises have come true. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son who was born of a woman. You're like, oh, okay, that's how it's going to happen, right? God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Okay, Jesus is the long-awaited one, the rescuer that God promised way back there in Genesis 3, when things were falling apart. And in Galatians 4:4, 4, 4, Paul is spelling out the way that Jesus redeemed, rescued, recovered us. He says that the Son of God became a human being. Right? He was born of a woman. The Son of God conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Right? Just as God said, it's going to be a child of the, of the woman. It's also going to be the Son of God. The Son of God was born not only of a woman, he was born under the law. What's the significance of that? Well, it means that the Son of God doesn't get a free pass. Right? He, has to do every, he has to do the same things that God expects of us. He is required to know it and show it. To be uh, someone who knows the love of God and shares it and shows it to those around him. To love God, to love neighbor, to love this world that he's made. And Jesus does it perfectly. He's the perfect image of God. He's the perfect image bearer of God. Literally, to look at him is to see God. As someone born under the law, Jesus did everything the law required. And where he succeeds, he succeeds where we have failed. We were created to know and love God, to know and love others, to know and love this world. Jesus did this perfectly. Jesus lived a perfect life uh, on our behalf so that we might someday have a perfect record before God. And it's his perfection that actually qualifies him to be a perfect substitute for us on the cross. Jesus dies the death that we deserve to die. He takes our punishment in our place so that there is no more wrath, there is no more condemnation for all of those who say, I'm with him. And then Jesus was raised from the dead, proving that, yes, he really was perfect. Yes, his substitutionary death really was satisfying to God. It really worked. And that, yes, this rescue mission really was accomplished. Uh, I see Derek has got this Mission Possible shirt on. Mission accomplished. Jesus says from the cross, it's finished. It's done. The rescue mission has worked. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus dealt a fatal blow to the devil, and he dealt with our sin once and for all. Think back to that opening illustration of this birdie uh, who has lost its way, and it's looking for its true mother. We have lost our way trying to find our new identity, But that earth mover brought that birdie back home. The birdie didn't find itself. It was lost. It was confused. But something else brought it home. In the same way, you need somebody to bring you back home. It's not about you sort of figuring out your way and finding it. You need a rescuer. You need Jesus to go and find you and to bring you back home. And that, my friends, is exactly what God has done for you and for me, when he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, into this world, right? when he has given us Jesus. So, this is the first part of our new identity. When God says, you've made a muck of things, I'm going to recover you, it starts here. right? It starts with, with Jesus, with the rescue mission. God said he would do this, he said that he's going to recover us, and God has kept his promise. Jesus' rescue mission is the basis for our new identity. Just to say, you cannot have a new identity without this. If If God had not done this, we are still lost and confused. We are still separated from God. And there's no way back in. There's no way back home. But because of Jesus, there is. So, point number one, our rescue. This sets us up for points number two and three. Point number two what is the second aspect of our new identity? Well, it's our robes. It's our robes. What do I mean by that? Think again. Okay, back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve rejected God, immediately they felt exposed. That protective cover was removed from them. God was no longer defining them. They had said, we're going to define ourselves. And they felt naked and ashamed. Right? Right? Same thing happens when you try to live life on your own terms. The result is confusion, lostness, nakedness, and shame. You know, you are trying to cover that up. You're saying, don't look at me, look at this. Look at my report card. It's full straight A's. You know, don't look at me, but look at this. All these friends that I have on Facebook. Right. Don't look at me, look at this. How many likes my profile picture got? You know, how beautiful people think I am. How cool people think I am. Don't look at me, but look at this. Look at my boyfriend or girlfriend because they think I'm alright. Do you see what you're doing when you do this? And You all do. I, I'm, even I do this too, right? We're trying to cover up our nakedness and shame. We're trying to f- sew a garment of fig leaves. You're trying to find your identity in one or all of these different things, hoping that some way, somehow, you can convince the world and even convince yourself that you're okay. But try as you may, right? You know that these things are inadequate. They can't fully deal with your nakedness and shame. You still feel it. Yeah. So what's what's there to do? Well, God knows what you need. He knows that you need a robe perfect righteousness He knows that you need a robe that unlike your fig leaves is going to cover you fully a robe that's never going to tarnish or fade a robe that's never going to break down or fall apart a robe that when you wear it is going to take away all of your fear and insecurity and self-reproach and shame I'm talking about the best clothes imaginable. I'm talking about Jesus' perfect record, his perfect righteousness, the righteousness of God. I'm talking about 100% grade A awesomeness. I'm not just talking about perfection, I'm talking about perfection plus, if such a thing existed. Pure perfection, sheer awesomeness. And this is what Jesus gives you when you put your faith in Him. This is what He gives you when you put your faith in Him. Look at Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. God said that He's going to recover you. He said he's going to give you something far better than this patchwork, fig leaf garment that you were trying to put on yourself. He gives you the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And in verse 27, Paul is using this language of putting on or clothing yourselves with Christ. Well, what does that mean, to clothe yourselves with Christ? Well, here's what it means. It means that when you're baptized, God essentially is saying, here, take this, it's yours. Right? This robe is for you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, what you're essentially saying is, thank you, I needed that. When you put your faith in Jesus, what you're essentially doing is sliding your arms into its, seat, into its sleeves, and you're pulling that robe close to your chest. That's what you're doing when you're putting your faith in Jesus. Baptism is God giving you this gift. Faith is receiving it and putting it on. Right? Did you know that when you are wearing this robe, you are one of the most beautiful or handsome persons in the entire world? With this robe on, you are unbelievably attractive. When God looks at you, he is not disappointed. You look really, really, really good with these clothes on. My friends, God says he's going to recover you. He says he's going to rescue you. He says he's going to take away your nakedness and shame. That he's going to give you a newer, better, unshakable identity. And part of that is him giving you this robe of righteousness, right the perfection of Jesus, clothing that is much, much, much better than anything you or I could ever piece together on ourselves. Right? And this brings me to the best part. Right? Because of Jesus, we can also approach God as our Father. And because of Jesus, we can approach God as our Father. Look at verses 26 and 27, as well as uh, Ephesians, or not Ephesians, Galatians 4, verses 5 and 7. I'm going to read them out loud. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then jump down here to verses uh, 5 and 7. Um, Oh, I'll start at four. But when the time, set time had to come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. When you put your faith in Jesus, not only are you roving yourself in his righteousness, you are a child of God by faith. You are an adopted son or daughter of God. That's your new identity. And I want you to sit with this for a second because you don't really believe it. You struggle to believe this. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Lord of the universe... The maker of heaven and earth adopts you as his beloved son. He adopts you as his beloved daughter. The Lord of the universe calls you my beloved. That's how he sees you. That's what he calls you. You get to call him Abba, father. And you know what Abba is, right? Like Abba is baby talk. Abba is dad, dad. Abba is daddy. And not only does God allow you to call him daddy, Christ commands that you do it, right? He tells us that when we pray, we ought to pray like this. Our father, daddy, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This whole conference is about identity. Who am I? And if you are a Christian, this is it. You are God's beloved child. You are royalty. You are a son or a daughter of the great high king. That is who you are. You want an identity that is unshakable, that's not going to go anywhere, that you can bank on, that you can rest secure in, that's going to give you courage and poise and compassion and strength, that's going to enable you to step out into this world without fear, without anxiety. Without guilt, self reproach or shame. My friends, this is it. Right, this is where you need to look. You're royalty. You are a son or a daughter of the great high king. That's who you are. Our sonship in God is in Christ. Right? This isn't natural. We've been adopted. We were adopted sons and daughters of the king. And we're adopted the moment we put our faith in Christ. Um, my wife, Megan... Who some of you have met, uh, she was adopted, and the man that Megan calls Daddy is a man named Jack Qualey, who adopted her when she was 16 years old. Uh, Megan literally got a new name; you could say she got a new identity that day. She was no longer Megan Mikesell, but Megan Quayley, and Jack was no longer Jack; Jack was now Daddy. Right? And the day of her adoption, Megan became a Quayley, but she. Didn't just get a new dad, right? Becoming a quailie meant she got a whole new family and a whole new set of friends. She got a bunch of new aunts and uncles. She got a bunch of new cousins and first cousins. She got a bunch of new grandparents even. And of course, a new set of friends. Not only that, but Megan became an heiress of Jack's wealth. Legally speaking, what was his was now hers. Jack treats Megan as his own flesh and blood. And it's funny that as Megan grows older, um, she begins to, she has actually begun to, to resemble him in some ways. People when they meet Megan think that she's naturally Jack's daughter, her, his biological daughter. They actually have some of the same facial features but as she's grown older, she's begun to take on some of his character traits. Um, there is no doubt that Megan is Jack's girl. She is a quailie. She's a and because I married her, but she is very much a quailie too. And when God adopts you um, as his son or as his daughter, many of these same things apply to you as well. Uh, there's a pastor in New York City, a guy named Tim Keller, uh, and he's preaching on this topic of adoption a lot. And in one of his sermons, he points out that in Jesus' day and age, whenever a man would adopt someone into his family, several things would immediately happen. And I just want to quote him here for a moment. Listen to this. When a man would adopt someone in his name, he said, number one, all of the new son's old obligations are canceled. All of his debts are canceled. All legal obligations are gone. He doesn't owe anybody anything because his father has paid it. Secondly, the son becomes as wealthy as his father. He immediately gets the father's name and he immediately becomes the heir of everything that the father has. Thirdly, The father becomes liable for everything the son does. If the son uh, does something stupid, the father pays for it. If the son does something ridiculous, the father makes up for it. And lastly, the son, of course, now has the responsibilities of carrying on the family name. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow. When you put your faith in Christ, God adopts you into his family. You are his beloved son or daughter. You are royalty. Okay, this is who you are. You're son or daughter of the great high king. Everything that he has is yours, including including his perfection. You are not God's servant. You are not God's slave. You are his beloved son. You're his beloved daughter. Paul picks up on this distinction between a son or a slave in verses 6 and 7 of Galatians 4. He says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. A lot of you in this room have the status of a son or a daughter, but you have the mindset of a slave. You've put your faith in Jesus, God has given you his perfection. He calls you your son, and yet you still have this attitude I'm a servant, I'm a slave. Why? Why do you do that? I'm I'm, I'm inviting you to correct that. I want you to correct that. I want you to begin to see where your true identity lies. What's the biggest difference between a servant and a slave? What do you think? Most obviously, a servant can get fired, but you cannot fire your son. Right? A slave is full of anxiety and full of fear. A slave is always afraid of being cast out. It's always working, not out of a sense of love, but out of a sense of compulsion. It's really anxious that if it doesn't do the things right, he's out of here. Right? That's how a slave thinks. A son, however, knows that his father loves him. He knows that he's absolutely secure. And he knows that his house, this house is his. And he's not going anywhere. Those are really big differences. Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Or are you a slave? I'm going to quote Tim Keller one more time. Listen. It says, slaves are up and down emotionally. Why? Because when they perform well, they feel like they're worthwhile people. When they perform poorly... They feel like failures. Sons, on the other hand, are emotionally stable. Do you know why? Because a son knows when he does something well, that's not the reason he's accepted. He's glad he did something well. He's glad he's pleased his father. But that's not the reason he's in the house. The reason he's in the house is Jesus. It's not owed to his performance, but Jesus' performance. And Jesus has done everything perfectly for you so that you could have this place in his house forever. Continue to quote from Tim Keller. Therefore, he doesn't get a big head when things go well. Also, when things go poorly, he's not afraid of being rejected because he's in the house because of what Jesus did, not because of what he himself has done. Friends, are you a slave or a son? If you have put your faith in Jesus, God has accepted you into his heavenly family. You are his beloved child. You cannot be fired. You cannot be fired. You're a son or a daughter. Right? You are royalty. This is your new, unshakable identity. This is where your identity truly lies. Right? This brings me to my last point for today, and it's a brief one. Okay, Paul says that because of our new identity in Jesus, all the old ways that we used to define ourselves don't matter anymore. Look at verse 28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, it means that your identity is no longer based on race, rank, sex, whatever. He's not saying that those things don't exist or those distinctions don't exist. He's not saying that you cease to be a woman or that you cease to be a man when you put your faith in Jesus. He's just saying, that's not where your identity lies, right? Your identity is in Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus. We could just as well say that your identity is not wrapped up in your last name, your temperament, your likes, your image, your friends, right? Your identity is here. It's in Jesus. It's in our rescue. It's in our robes. It's in the ability to approach God now as our Father. You know, God in His goodness promised to recover you He wants to recover you. He has, right? He wants to rescue you and bring you back home. He wants to take away your nakedness and shame. He wants to give you a new identity, a better identity, one that's going to last, one that's so much better than this fig leaf garment you are trying to make for yourself. He's going to give you this perfect robe of righteousness in Jesus. He's going to adopt you into his family. Friends, this is good, good news. This is where you can look for your new, better, unshakable identity. Our rescue, our robes, our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, we are so grateful that we get to even say that. Father, Daddy, thank you for adopting us as your children. Thank you that we cannot be fired, that we are not slaves or servants, but we are sons and daughters of the great high King. Well, we are lost, we are confused but you have left your home to go and find us and bring us back in. While we are filled with nakedness and shame, you have given us something so great. You've given us the perfection of Jesus that we would no longer have any fear or anxiety, self reproach guilt or shame, that with these new and better clothes on, what you see is beautiful when you look at us. What an amazing gift. And Father, thank you so much for bringing us into your family, for loving us like a beloved son or daughter. It's more than we can imagine. It's more than we can almost even bear. But it is true. And we praise you and we thank you for it. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to leave this place now filled with joy and thanksgiving. Help us to know it and to show it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.